Welcome back to Qualified-ish, the bi-weekly podcast that talks all about movies and TV shows created by qualified creators, but hosted by an unqualified lover of film. This episode is about The Leftovers. Today, I am joined by Danny Hanna. Uh, hi, yeah, I'm Danny Hanna. I am currently a freelance filmmaker living out in LA. Um, I most primarily do a lot of video editing work, um, but I've recently been trying to do hardcore focus on breaking into the writer scene and just kind of like honing my craft um, so that, you know, when this current writer strike ends, I can really try and get in there. So. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, You were in the last one that I did this, like in, in COVID you were in one of my episodes and that was great as well. Um, And for those who don't know me or don't, are not following like what I'm watching what I watch like everything that I watch is pretty much recommended by Danny so yeah <laughs> there, there's go. the credential <laughs> there's the credential if you needed that um so today we'll be talking about the leftovers but before that we're going to ask a few general questions that I ask every guest um the first one being what's your favorite tv show if you can even choose one or um, a couple it's gonna be a shock answer it's the leftovers <laughs> What? what that's crazy it was like that's the episode we're doing <laughs> yes oh, oh my god and then what about your favorite movie um it, it's got to be everything everywhere all at once yeah that movie's so damn good dude yeah i was just talking to someone about that i was like best theater experience i've ever had best movie to see yeah, with like, such a full theater. Yeah, seeing that with a crowd, like everybody reacting to it all at the same time was like honestly like unmatched. <laughs> so good. Um, is there like a TV show or a movie that you wish you created? You like you watched it and you're like, this is genius. Um not like necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh just because like uh, anytime I do reach that level of like, oh, this is genius, it's also kind of like, I can't say I wish that I made it because if I, you know, like if I made The Leftovers, it wouldn't be The Leftovers, you know, because I right. have a completely different style to that. So I can very definitively say, like, I hope I make something as good as The Leftovers or as good as like The Bear is something that we've been talking about a lot that you mm-hmm. know I love or I hope I make I write a film as good as Everything Everywhere All At Once and all that kind of stuff but um, yeah in terms of like shows that I directly wish I made I kind of I try to just steer myself away from thinking like that mm-hmm. uh, just because I don't think that's very helpful in terms of figuring out my own writing so Right. Okay. That's valid. Um, So let's get into it. The leftovers. Um, So if you were to describe the show to someone, how would you describe it? Okay. So the first thing I'm going to say, (laughs) because I have to say this now and I hate that. Okay. um, This show was made well before Avengers Infinity War. It just, it's it's a necessary say, because the way I describe the show is it is about, um, the aftermath and reaction to um, one day when mysteriously 2% of the world's population just disappears. Which is very, like, now people say, like, oh, so, like, 
the Thanos snap or whatever, and I have to be like, no, no, but it's like <laughs> they did it before. It's a different thing. Um, and the whole right. vibe is completely different too. Um, honestly, again, I hate to be using this analogy, but the best way to uh, describe it is um, those first like 20 minutes of Endgame. <laughs> when it was just like um like oh, uh, steve rogers in the support group like everyone being sad and finding their own ways to like cope and move on imagine that but like a 28 episode series and that's kind of what the leftovers is again made well before either of those movies but that i, I guess that's the easiest analogy to pop culture that i can give you know Right. And when you recommended it to me, I think you were just like, you just have to watch it. I'm not going to describe what this is about. No. And yeah, I think that is the best thing to like to describe to someone. But this is just for like the sake of this episode that I think we need to give some context for maybe maybe people who are like want to listen into the first part of this. Um, It's it's insane. This show is packed to the brim with different themes and topics like everything under the moon um but that is like the basic plot like the two two percent of the world's population disappears and basically we follow um some characters who are grieving and how uh like after i think it's the it starts off like three years after that disappearance occurred and so how people are reacting many years after it and then the year's coming. And so the first season for me was like, or the first maybe three or four episodes, it was so slow for me. Like I was having trouble getting through it. And I was like, there are no answers. What's going on? Like everyone's disappeared. Like what's the point of this? And then you just like, I I think it's the point where you get, the point that I got like more interested in was like when we learn more about Kevin in terms of like his frustrations. And when we see him interact with like that one old man who's like shooting the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it really, that's where I got, got into it. Yeah. But I will uh, say it is, um, it is like the slowest of slow builds. Yes. Uh, and I, and that is, definitely a problem uh, I run into a lot when trying to show people this show because yeah. and it, 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 I hate it because it is my biggest like pet peeve when people recommend me something and they say like oh but you have to get to like episode nine because episode nine is going to be like where it gets really good but like right. I, I, I feel so hypocritical because it's my biggest pet peeve but like you kind of have to get there with the leftovers too like yeah you have to like because I've been watching it I've been re-watching it with my roommate recently and for the whole, I want to say like the first like five or six episodes, she was mm-hmm. like you where she didn't get it. Um, yeah. And she was like, she's like, it's fine, but I don't understand why you love this so much. And then we got to um, the flashback episode where it shows yeah. all the characters before, um, they call it the sudden departure in that show, uh, mm-hmm. where it shows all the characters before the sudden departure. And like, I could see in my roommate's mind, she was like, oh shit, I understand now. Like, this is what yeah. the show is, you know? And once you get there, you know, it's no holds barred. It's insane for the rest of the time. But like, there is a lot of buildup in that show. Right. And so after like the slow, like the slow burn of the first season, what would you say makes the show so good? Like what makes it? Uh, The character work. 
like a hundred percent um that show completely lives and breathes mm-hmm. by how like interesting and dynamic and unique all of the characters are which is why it needs those five to six episodes of build-up because it it like you you know every aspect about these characters like there's not a single right. character that's just there to do like one thing you know mm-hmm. yep um so they they spend a lot of time just introducing you to everybody showing you the way they react to certain situations and um making you really feel like you know them and really feel for them as characters and then as slowly taking you on their arcs throughout the rest of the show and showing you putting them in new situations that challenge them in different ways and showing them different things and as you're watching and you watch them grow and learn from that and I know that's how you can you describe every goddamn show like, yeah. <laughs> like that's, just, that's just character work 101 and I do understand that but I have no way of describing it other than just like the leftovers does it better like mm-hmm. the characters are written better the situations are more interesting their arcs their growth is more interesting like i have never been more attached to characters mm-hmm. than i have been with the characters in the leftovers just plain and simple right and i think um the biggest thing for me is that every like you were saying exactly like what you were saying where every character is so important like there's not one character where i'm like oh they're annoying or why are they here or something like that? I feel that every character has its place. And I had trouble like towards the end of watching it being like, who's my favorite character? Who's the best written? Like some something like that. And I'd just be like, I don't know. Like, and my answer is probably like Nora or Lori, which I, I was really frustrated with these characters at the start of the, the show. Yeah. Like, these, these were like my least favorite characters. I was like, what the hell is Lori doing? Like she's abandoning her family she's doing all these crazy things and Nora was just like she just like I feel like was going crazy for valid reasons but um it was just a lot so as the show progressed I was like damn I'm surprised like I'm surprised that I empathize this much with these characters even though obviously like we will empathize with them because they most of them lost some of their family or their friends yeah um but it's just hard because a lot of them in the beginning are very much motivated by their own like selfish intent. So like, that's how I was reacting as I was progressing through the show. I don't know how you were feeling. Well, I agree with that, but I think that's what all like kind of makes it so brilliant is like the way that it kind of forces that turn in you with like all the characters almost every single character kind of starts off like a little unlikable and annoying because yeah. like not a single one of them are dealing with the sudden departure mm-hmm. in a healthy way, you know? Yeah. And and you're annoyed at them because you, you sit there and you watch them make decisions that you know are the, the wrong decision to make, right? But right. A, it's understandable that they are taking the more toxic path. And B, when you when they finally do start going through the process of healing and do start helping themselves and trying to get better, like you realize that the only reason you were so angry with them is because you so badly wanted them to be better, you know? Right. Because some, like, that, the anger comes out of love for these characters rather than just being like, God, I hate this character, whatever. You know, like, you really just want these people to be okay by the end of the show, you know? That's kind of, like, the end goal. Right, and um, specifically, like, I don't, 
it's hard because shows like this where all the characters are so complex and have very important parts it's hard to say main character but I would say one of the main characters is Kevin Garvey so how would you how 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 do you think we're supposed to um interpret his character and how did your opinions of him change over time I mean I I, I honestly feel like Kevin is kind of the main example of what I was just talking yeah. about like, yeah he's so it's so easy to just hate him Yes. In the first like season and a half. Like it's so easy to just completely despise him and hate everything he's doing and be like uncomfortable and annoyed in every scene that he's in because he's an objectively toxic individual mm-hmm. um, who's doing things to only increase the toxicity in his life. You right. know? Um and then we can talk about spoilers, right? Like, or, yeah, okay. spoilers and from then, now on. Yeah. And then the the one good thing he picks up in season one is Nora. Yep. And then, you know, from season two onward is him just pushing away the one goddamn good thing in his life. You know, like he's pushing away Nora. He's like not doing something. There's even, um, like, there's so many scenes with Jill, his daughter, who, oh, yeah. where she just says, like, Nora's really good for you. Please don't fuck this up. And mm-hmm. then two seconds later, he does something to mess it up. And it's just like, and you hate that so much for him. And you're supposed to feel that, like, annoyance and anger at him. And you're supposed to be sitting there and you have to be like, what What are you doing, homie? Like, come on. Um, yeah. Get it together. Um, and then it it really is honestly just in the the season two finale almost where mm-hmm. you are supposed to have that turnaround and be like, oh shit, like I, you know, I just want this guy to be happy. You know? Yeah. It's in that last scene where um he sings karaoke. <laughs> It's like that. There's a scene for those who haven't seen the show and are still listening. Um, there's a scene where he sings karaoke, and so much of it, it, it is so weirdly the perfect encapsulation of his arc over the past two seasons. That it for everybody I've ever shown this the show to, they do a complete 180 on his character in that arc, and oh, all yeah. of a sudden you're just like, oh holy shit! I don't hate this guy. I hate what he's doing to himself. You know. But I do want him. I, I'm I'm hoping that he can move on and be happy and whatever. Right, and he was at the time he was like in purgatory, trying to get out of purgatory. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, sorry if you're listening to this and you don't know what this. Yeah, show's no, about. this show gets real weird. Uh, there you go. <laughs> like it's um another way I've been describing it to people because it's made by Damon Lindelof, who also was one of the main writers of Lost. Right. Yeah. Um, And the way I've been describing to it, because Lost very famously is a show that ran on for far too long, and it's because it was a big cash cow for the network it was on, and they kept renewing it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so Damon Lindelof had all these cool ideas for Lost, and he had to stretch them out over like eight seasons, and it became too messy and complex and whatever the hell. So keep all that weirdness from Lost, but like put it in a show that Damon Lindelof was just allowed to end when he wanted it to end. And that's what the leftovers is. Like it gets weird. It gets crazy. It gets super out of the box and existential and philosophical, but it's, it's not done 
but with this show, you feel like there are answers to everything. And you 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 can have that sense the whole time where it's going somewhere. In that, yes, there's a character that dies and goes to purgatory multiple times. And it's super <laughs> weird. And it's like not super well explained either. But like, no. <laughs> but you get it. It like it, it makes sense if you watch the show. Right. And with with an occurrence like the sudden departure, it comes with the main one of the main topics of the show which is like religion no real science like what's going on with that and so that's why there's like this like purgatory thing it adds to that um discussion um and especially with the contrast of like matt who's nora's brother and laurie towards like the end of the show like there's a lot of um religious discussion poor matt which we'll talk about later for context, yeah, Matt yeah. is a, a priest, and he yes. does represent the uh, the faith based angle of like asking the question of what happened, like where he does think it might be an act of God or something like that. Whereas Lori, who is a therapist and who has lived her whole life, like basically growing up in the science world, tries to explain it maybe a little bit more I don't want to say rationally because the whole thing is irrational but like she tries to explain it in a way that's a little bit more grounded in like what she can physically see around her you know and that they yeah and that is one of the major points of discussion is like what happened why it happened um you know where did they go like were the two percent of people will they ever come back none of those questions are ever answered um which I feel weird saying but like they're not you never really learn what happened why it happened whatever the hell but um by the end of the show you don't really care right it's especially over the course of season three it becomes very apparent that like that's not the point of the show that's not something they're trying to tackle or explain it really is just about like grief and moving on and like you know things are going to happen in the world that are just completely out of your control you have to be able to find ways to cope with that and keep living, you know, if you are, if you're left behind. Right. And, and um, I brought this up earlier about Kevin and his interaction with this like old man who's like shooting dogs. And mm-hmm. um, I think that it's like one of the best choices in season one, because I like the contrast of, we see Kevin running, like Kevin goes on runs regularly and this is like our first introduction to him is like we learn that he runs and he's a he's a police officer and on one of his runs he like stops and he is like caring for this dog like the dog looks like it's not okay mm-hmm. and as the dog is like with him it like the old man like shoots shoots the dog and the dog dies and so what i appreciate so much about this choice is that we see kevin who's doing something in his control, which is going on a run because he wants to take care of himself with the contrast of like this event that just happened in front of him that he has no control over that he's mourning about. Like he he does not sleep because of these events that he keeps seeing. He keeps seeing these dogs dying. And so I think that that perfectly, it's a perfect setup for the rest of the show. And I just really appreciate like the the parallels of like the the uncontrollable versus the controllable and it totally ties into like your viewpoint like the religious viewpoint or the scientific or both or whatever um and I think like you were saying I just I just feel like it it's it tells us a lot later 
but it also doesn't in terms of if you want answers like direct answers yeah about the show and that's what I tell people too like I when I first finished the show I finished it like in December so like six seven months ago and I was telling people you should watch this and I'm like you need to be okay with the fact that you're not going to get an answer for everything and a lot because a lot of people have trouble with that like they want a short short episodes um really direct answers for everything and um I'm just like you have to just get through the first season and I promise it'll be worth it and so that's where I feel like it's it's a hard selling point (laughs) It is no, it's a, it's it's it it's it, it is like it's hard. I the, I I say kind of a similar thing to people. The one thing I say is like it will give you all the answers. Yeah, that you want to have by the end of the show. Right. Like you're not. I don't think I've ever met somebody who at the end of the show was unsatisfied with oh, the yeah. things we did learn versus didn't learn. Yeah. But it is also the thing of like especially when you start the show like you don't know the questions you want answers to yet it's obviously you know kind of the bigger mysteries are the things you're initially curious about and mm-hmm. it does take time to like stop caring about that <laughs> uh oh almost. yeah um yeah dude, it's a it's it sucks so much because it like it, it's like you're saying like it is like such a tough sell like you have to sit with the show so much before you finally get to that payoff but like Oh my God! Is that payoff the single best payoff I've like I've ever seen on television? Like, it's crazy good. Right, and so we were talking about like the ambiguity of the show, and uh, how it contributes to its storytelling. And so, what impact, other than confusion that we were talking about, does it have on the audience in terms of the payoff at the end? Like, how do you think that pays off after I- watching three seasons? I think it, it really, it it kind of feeds into like what I was talking about later where like the kind of the crux of the show is just um, learning to move on and learning yeah. to like cope with things that happen in the world that are outside of your control. Like you were saying with the guy shooting the dog as like a perfect little allegory at the beginning. Um, but it's about like learning to cope with things that are completely out of your control and things that have happened. And I think that's a little bit why they left it amb- ambiguous. And ambiguous, fuck Jesus. Um, it's why they left it ambiguous um, at the end, is my opinion, because like the characters are never going to get an answer to what happened. They're never going to know in the sphere of the show. But at the end of the show, like the emotional finality is that the characters have finally learned how to move on and how to cope and how to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of shines the mirror back to you as the audience and almost like asks the question like, okay, you have now gotten the emotional resolution you want. You have now seen these characters finally be happy, finally cope, finally be able to, you know, to move on. Do you still care about what happened or are you just going to be happy that they're happy? You know? And I think that is a little bit why it's so ambiguous because it, it wants to play around so much with the fact that like, there are some things in life that you just aren't going to get answers to. Like, you're not going to know why everything happens. You're not going to understand certain parts about the way the world works. And obviously it's taken to like 11 in this show uh, with, you know, ridiculously like global scale events, but it's kind of highlighting that philosophy of like, sometimes you just have to learn that like, things are going to happen and like you have to move on you have to find your own way to be happy like carve out that little niche of the world for yourself where you're okay um yeah 
I hope that right. made sense. I feel like I'm rambling, but <laughs> no, 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 that definitely made sense. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason why after finishing it, you're just like, what did I just watch? And it's kind of uncomfortable. Like, and I think that is exactly like that explains what you were just saying so well. Um, because for a while, like, you know, like you watch a sad ending, like I've seen the ending of Mr. Robot, it makes me upset. Um, <laughs> but like this, this is like really like, wow. Like I, I remember being like, I can't watch anything for two weeks. I don't think I did. And then I was like, why is this upsetting me so much? Like, not, right. an ups- not like upsetting, like I'm like, uh, like sad about it, but like. It sticks with you. Yeah. Like it yeah. sticks with me. And I'm like, well, it's because they're talking about death and dying and how I'm supposed to cope with it. And I just like lived with these characters for only, like only three seasons, but it feels like I've known them for ever. Ever. Yeah. Which I think is also one A of the most impressive things. Yeah one of the most impressive things that it's only three seasons and I feel like it has the most well-developed characters in any TV show I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's like 28 episodes. That's like one season of other TV shows and it's got better developed characters than other TV shows. <laughs> like... It's crazy. And and so, I mean, I guess that goes into like this next question, which is like, are there any standout characters to you that you feel like you're particularly impressed by the writing of them or any any like relationships so like all of them uh <laughs> literally <laughs> um I, I you know i could like they're all so good every single person in this show is giving the performance of their career yes um i say that as like the biggest doctor who fan and christopher eccleston gave <laughs> the performance of his career in this show um but i, I think the one that i always uh, that sticks with me the most by far. Um, it's definitely Amy Brenneman as Lori. Because mm-hmm. uh, they they put that woman through so much in the, in the show. They like, they, like, her arc is so incredible and so well written. And every single scene she's in, like, and again, I've especially been realizing this as I've been re-watching this with my roommate. Um, every time she shows up, I have said out loud, oh, this is a really good scene. Oh, and yeah. I've slowly been realizing, no, every single Lori scene is just a really good scene. Like, she, she has one line in the first season. Like, and I don't mean like she's a side character. She's the main character. She just doesn't talk for a lot of the first season. Um, dude, she's in a cult where they don't talk. But like um she has one line at the end of the first season and it is the single most bone chilling moment of television i've ever seen like it like the the whole like nine episodes of build up to that like it's like five seconds where she just screams out one line and this one i'm not going to spoil because if you haven't seen the show i won't ruin this for you but um it is the most bone chilling moment and it's entirely due to how God damn good of an actor Amy, Amy Brennan is. Like, she kills, murders every goddamn scene she's in. Um, I mean, we were talking literally a little earlier today about um, her last episode in season three. Oh my three. god. And every single scene from that goddamn episode is murders. She, she kills. She's so good at it. Like She's so um, good. And 
you know, and I, I, I want to stress, it's not just her. Justin Thoreau is giving the performance of her his career. Carrie Coon, performance of her career. Christopher Robinson, as I said before, like everybody is killing it in this show. But like Amy Brenneman specifically, um, and it, it is just because Laurie is my favorite character. I love mm-hmm. what they did with her, but like she is so next level. Like it's crazy. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Um, because every single time she's on screen, I almost just want to cry because it's like, I like the first season, I remember being like this bitch, like, what is she, (laughs) what is she doing? She just like left her family. And like, she's like in this cult that is like terrorizing people. And I don't know how I feel about this. And then just like her whole, like, I almost want to say like Renaissance, like throughout season two and three. And then where we end up in season in season three at the end, which I will like never forget. Like I remember I watched it was season three, episode six. So it's not even the end. Yeah. But she's talking to Nora and she's with Nora's brother, Matt. The and they're all scene? Oh my God, they're talking. Yeah. Oh my God. That it is a killer, you guys. That scene. That's the whole the whole show, but like this scene in particular, I will never forget. Partially because of the soundtrack. I thought that was yeah. like so good, like so, so memorable and sad but also oddly like there's a sense of forgiveness because remember like Rory was with Kevin and now Nora's with Kevin and you would there's you would think like there's like weird bad blood yeah yeah and and I for a minute there was I feel like but then later it's like oh like Nora tells Kevin the very last episode I've been talking to Lori whether that's true or not I don't know but I think it is Mm -hmm. um and so I just feel like there's a sense of like I don't know it's like contentness that that Lori as a character has in comparison to the other characters um which like I'm not blaming them for being more chaotic and crazy because there's a lot happening but I feel like there is a certain sense of like neutrality in a way but like not blandly that she gives off that is so calming and her character is just so interesting because of all the different places she's been she especially when she's understanding like Matt's perspective and especially when she is about to scuba dive so she decides to scuba dive because she is going to commit suicide and right at the time that she decides to do that, this is like the last, one of the last episodes, um, she gets a call from her daughter and that like saves her basically. Yeah. Um, and so the reason that stood out to me so much is because like Danny was saying, there's a huge element for her of science, but then there's like this whole thing with like fate. Like she was just about to do this thing and just right before she did it her daughter called and I feel like that I just it was it's just mind-blowing like I loved that scene so much I'm so glad you brought that up because the beach ball scene into yeah the scuba diving scene that was the (laughs) moment when I first watched the show where I was like ah fuck this is my favorite show of all time isn't it (laughs) like yeah like that one episode and I know I've been saying this a lot, but it is it is it is just due to how hot in high regard I should I I fold this show. But I do actually think Lori's final episode in season three might be my favorite episode of television of all time. Wow. Yeah, like every every 
single scene in that is an absolute banger. It so beautifully closes out the arcs to like 90% of the cast um, all through the lens of one character, which is crazy to me how you're, how they were able to pull that off. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how you write that. I don't know how you write something that good. I physically don't understand it. It pisses me off. <laughs> I just like, I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, again, after the strike ends, obviously, but I'm trying to break into the industry right now. Um, yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, but I can't, I can't write that. Like, I'm not that good. Like, God damn. <laughs> but then like, nobody's that good. David Lindelof is on another goddamn level of just ridiculousness. seriously just so like i'm i'm still so impressed i completely forgot it was three seasons until i was going back and rewatching, and just how well developed everything was like i will right it it feels like it feels like you've been with the characters as long as you were with like the game of thrones characters you know yes yeah it's so much shorter yeah and so were there any lessons that you learned that you're gonna take when you um are writing more um, like, are there any lessons from the show that you'll take and use when you decide to write your own stuff? Um, yeah, the the single biggest thing that I have taken from The Leftovers is uh, that character and character work is kind of king when it comes to telling a good story. Um, which, again, is like something that you hear all the time. Like, this is not like a new revolutionary thing, but right. it's 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 honestly due to how little actual plot there is in The Leftovers and how much the story of the whole show is carried purely by character arc Mm -hmm. and how engrossed you are. Like, not a lot actually happens in this show in terms of, like, moving the plot forward, world-changing events, yada, yada, yada. Every single beat is all just, like, the characters growing and changing emotionally. Um, and it still makes for the best show of all time, <laughs> you know, um, which, which again, like to me as a writer just highlights how important character work is. Like you should, you should have a strong plot, like a strong story and The Leftover still has a strong story, but it's nothing without strong characters. And if your right. characters aren't having arcs and aren't going on journeys and discovering things about themselves and like tangibly growing and changing and you're not tangibly getting the audience attached to your characters doesn't matter how sick of a plot twist you come up with in like season five if nobody cares about your characters in season five what does it mean like who cares whatever right yeah um yeah that's definitely uh by far the biggest thing um also another lesson um and this isn't really about writing it's just about if i ever get the chance to uh create a tv show uh, find a damn good composer <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because yep. oh my god the way so much of that show is heightened by the music is it's ridiculous <laughs> it's yeah. it like it plays in my head sometimes yeah and I'm just like like in the same way that I feel like Succession's music plays in my head it's just like it just fits so well it's so well so perfectly if you haven't seen the show uh, just go listen to the soundtrack on Spotify and I promise yes. you, you're going to want to see just to see like what the hell 
the hell kind of a theme does this song adhere <laughs> <laughs> to? <laughs> Literally, it's like it's like somber, but not like sad. It's yeah. somber, but like hopeful. It's it's really hard to describe, but that, it's exactly. so so perfect. Um, and I think we've talked a lot about this beach scene, the the beach ball scene. I mean, um. But is there a different scene or a different episode that you go back to? Because that episode is the one that I go back to the most, but I'm wondering if there's something else that stands out to you. Um, actually, straight up, the one right before. The one uh, with M- the Matt episode. The last oh my God. episode on the yeah. cruise ship. Yes. Uh, where he um, he talks to God. Um, and we don't know, and that again, this is just kind of the nature of the show. We don't know if he's actually talking to God, if he's talking to somebody who's crazy and thinks he's God. Yeah. Um, and there's genuinely cases to be made for either answer, uh, yeah. which is insane. But um, <laughs> but that episode, and specifically the final confrontation, the one where he's tied God up in a chair and forcing him to talk and like really get through it. Like that conversation is another one I go to just as much as I go back to the beach ball scene because Mm -hmm. it's such a good scene. Like you can feel the anger and the the existential dread and the almost like vitriolic hate coming out of Matt for the amount of shit he's been put through. Um, And through as again Matt is a priest so he is somebody who staunchly believes that everything is God's plan and you can feel him like finally having it out and being like why why was this your plan for me like what what did I do almost you know right right and the back and forth they have in that conversation it's so um it's not as uplifting a scene as the beach ball scene, I'll say. Like it, like it, like you you don't feel super content after the scene like you right. do with the beach ball one. But at the end of that scene, I, I like I literally had to like there's after that scene, there's maybe five minutes left of the episode. And I remember the first time I watched it, I still had to pause it and be like, I need to go take a walk. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Poor Matt. Like yeah. Matt's Matt goes through everything. And um there's a part so like season two in season two they decide everyone like kevin's family decides to go to the promised land which is a place in texas and it's known that like is it called the promised land the miracle land whatever it's called miracle yeah miracle okay and so it's like well known that miracles happen and so there's just an episode where matt goes to like i don't even know what this area is called but like the place that's right outside of miracle where like everyone who can't get into Miracle is. Yeah, right? so for, for reference for people who haven't seen the show, uh, just yeah. name. so Miracle is a town in Texas um, where nobody departed. Like nobody, nobody yeah. got raptured or whatever the hell, raptured, sudden departure, whatever the hell, there's like eight different words for it in the show. Um, so it's become kind of almost like a holy land for people, and um, it's become a national park too. So it's completely gated off; you can't get in without a ticket. Um, so there's outside. There's been a there's a whole gang of. Um, it kind of feels like a cult <laughs> of people who yes. like worship the town of Miracle, and it's like you know a bunch of like hippies and right. It's definitely trying to emulate like hippie culture or whatever the hell um yeah where it's people who camp just outside the border of the town to just try and be near it because they want to be 
close to that uh, feeling, that place. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, continue what you were saying about the Matt episode then. <laughs> God. Um, so I, you have to remind me though, how he just like ended up abandoned in this, in the area that's right outside of Miracle. Okay, yeah. So what happens is um, Matt is taking his, um, she's not comatose. She's completely paralyzed, like 100%. Yes. yes. Like doesn't have any bodily functions. He's taking his wife to a doctor's appointment. Um, he lives in the town. So he gets like a wristband to show that he's part of the town. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, as they're coming back from the appointment, he um, he sees a guy who's having car troubles, and so trying to be a good Samaritan, and that's not me paraphrasing, that's the objective allegory they're going with. Yeah. Um, he pulls over to stop the guy, to help the guy in the car, and the guy, like, knocks him out with a wrench, uh, takes his wristband, takes his wife, uh, Matt's wife's wristband for the guy and his son so that they can get into the town. And so the whole episode follows Matt and his completely paralyzed wife, like trying to get back into the town, like trying to get back home. And he is just pushed around. Like this guy goes through the ringer. Like mm -hmm. seriously, he goes through the ringer and there are all kinds of people like treating him like shit. And then I think um, he just decides, so there's like a, what's it even called that he like decides to go up on that thing? What is it called? Oh, it's like the gallows, right? Yeah. So yeah. he decides to just like um, surrender, like not surrender, but like he puts himself like, <laughs> he like pr imprisons himself almost. Yeah. Um, Like on this thing, it's like public um what is it humiliation called? yeah humiliation yes like that's like the best way i can describe it he just decides to do that i just feel like that point i just felt so bad for him because yeah. it's like he's trying his best and he's like following god's word and he's preaching god's word and he gets to this place and he's treated like shit even though he's trying to do the best that he can mm -hmm. and it's not even until like nora comes and finds him where she saves him and um that's a, another thing i appreciate about the show is the connection between nora and matt um which i feel like i didn't appreciate as much until i rewatched some episodes uh but yeah that part really stuck out to me and um nora is another one of my favorite characters but anyways yeah. i mean we, we can say that about any character yeah that that's true because now that we're talking about the matt episodes uh like there's one episode each season that's entirely focused around matt and every single one of them is fucking brutal um yes like now that we're talking about the Matt episodes, I'm like, God, well, Matt's my favorite character now. And yeah. Talk, you know, we'll talk about um like the international assassin episodes, and I'll be like, no, Kevin's my favorite character. Oh, like, my God. Those are so then, good. Like, I'll just keep going. And then, you know, I'll think about the fact that Ann Dow spent a whole episode rip rolling Justin Thoreau. And I'm like, nah, wait, but I love I oh love her God. too. Like <laughs> seriously, and Ann Dow's like a side character. She's like amazing. She's a really important character, though. Yeah, she's so important, yeah yeah she's, and she she's also somebody who like yeah if, if you uh, like only know Anne Dowd from uh Handmaid's Tale you ain't seen nothing like <laughs> you true. have you have no idea like <laughs> that's true as someone like, who don't get me wrong who, yes she's also incredible in Handmaid's Tale but yes. my god dude her as Patty Levin 
Oh. <laughs> the woman knows how to torture. Between uh, the, between the Handmaid's Tale and the the leftovers, the woman knows. Uh, yeah. She's so good. Like she's so good. Um, but okay, we're just talking about Nora. So let's get to the obvious. The the last episode, the big question. Yeah. Was was Nora, like was she was she lying, um, or was she being truthful to Kevin? And before we go into that. Um, the preface is as follows. So we were talking about this beach ball scene for so many minutes. Um, that is right before Nora decides to do this. She chooses to go back to where, presumably where her children and her, um, her husband went when they were, when they departed. So her whole family was, um, just disappeared. She's one of like the only people who her whole family disappeared, um, and so these psychiatrists approach her and they're like, hey, like we can take you back. Like we have a machine. We can we can bring you to your kids and your husband. And so genius, like literally genius um, editing and um, episode when she decides to do this. And she is like put in like this like tank looking thing. And we see her like just right before we think she's going to go to this place wherever this tank is taking her um and she it looks like she's gonna like scream it looks like she's gonna say stop to the people who are putting on this whole thing but we don't know we really do not know but then the last episode takes place many many years after she did this and she's much older and kevin finds her and um he's like i've been looking for you for a long time and he at first like is lying to her like he's like I don't like I, like acting like oh I met you once maybe like oh hello um do I know you that kind of thing and then finally they like have this sit down conversation and Nora is basically telling him like this is what happened I went through I saw my kids I saw my husband and I decided that I do not belong there and I decided to come back so I talked to the creator of this machine and he made a new one and I came back so that was a long explanation, but just to preface before we explain how we feel about this last scene and what we think about it. So go ahead. <laughs> um. So yeah, like you were saying, the big the big question is, did Nora actually go through to this uh, alleged alternate world and then come back, or did she? you know, chicken out, I guess, at the last second, and it's lying to herself. Um, and I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> and the answer I've come up with is I don't care. Uh, <laughs> which I, which I, I, I genuinely believe, and I'm sorry that that's a non-answer, um, but I genuinely just believe that that's the point. Yeah. Because I don't think it matters whether or not Nora went through when you got that closure she needed where she actually figured out what happened and that her kids are out there and fine and safe in just this alternate world. Um, or if she's just telling herself a nice story to make herself feel better um, so that she can finally move on and uh, progress in life. The only thing that I care about as somebody who's watching the show is that she's moving on and actually like mm -hmm. doing things with her life, you know? I, yes. I, I truly, I do not care. I don't think it matters. And I think that's kind of what they were getting at with um, 
with Kevin's last line too, because he says, of course I believe you. Yeah. He says it with line delivery that Justin Thoreau has done where he's lying. Uh, you know, so it's also ambiguous whether or not Kevin believes her. But yeah. but in that moment, I think Kevin understands that this is the story that she's sticking with, whether it's true or not, that she's using to be able to move on and to be able to live her life the way that she wants to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's I I think trying to decipher whether or not she's telling the truth is kind of, is missing that point, you know. Yeah, missing that it's it it does it it truly does not matter whether or not she's telling the truth. That's not at all the point of what we're doing here, you know. She's yeah. happy. She's moving on. She has finally so many goddamn years after the sudden departure healed and is able to live a life where she feels decently fulfilled and happy and now she has Kevin back and they can be fulfilled and happy together like they're gonna be okay and that's really what matters you know right yeah and I I had to ask it but I mean I agree with you I don't think that that's a like a cop-out answer I think that that is the answer um I just felt like I had to ask it because it's such a big thing in the people in the fan base like who love this show like they talk about it um, I do think it's interesting, like I was rewatching that episode and um, it's so clear when Kevin lies, like yeah. when, when he first um, sees Nora and he's like introducing himself, like acting like, oh, I've only known this woman. I've only met her once maybe or twice. Mm-hmm. It's so obvious, like the way he's talking and his demeanor, which I think is really impressive with Nora. I feel like it's really hard to tell. But I will say in the beginning of the episode, there is a part, I think it's in the beginning of this episode, the last one, where we see a clip of her being interviewed by the psychiatrist. We're putting her through the the tank or whatever to transport her. And um, I think one of the questions, like they asked her a question. I don't rem- remember what it is, but it was more important to know that she answers, Nora answers, and the psychiatrist is like, why are you telling us what you want us to, like, why are you telling us what you think you want us to know? Yeah. And so there are several moments throughout like that whole episode that are similar to that, where I'm like, it sounds like Nora's lying, but um, I don't care. Like, I don't care like what you were saying. Yeah. Because the whole point is like, we tell each, we ch- we tell each other these stories so that we can move on. Like, yeah. we, we want to move on. They've been it, grieving for, for years about this sudden departure. You can't just like keep thinking what if and- If it's um, an event worrying. that's so undescribable and so out of your control. Right. Like, so, like the sudden departure. And it, it's like, and you're letting affect you so much. At, at a point, you have to do something. To, to help yeah. yourself, you know? Right. Like you have to be able to say, like, you know, this is the story. This is how I'm going to explain it. And we're I'm moving on. Like, I'm happy. That's, this is what happened, whatever the hell. Like, that's it. And I, it's, it's something that people do, knowingly or unknowingly, it's something that people do all the time. Like, yeah. we, we find our own explanations for things be, because naturally as humans we don't like leaving things unexplained <laughs> right um so we'll tell ourselves stories to make ourselves feel better um you know it's so hard because I, I want to give a more definitive answer I want to say like yes I think Nora's lying I because like does it make more sense if like objectively if Nora's lying and she's just telling herself that story 
yeah, obviously it does. And there's like evidence to that in the show and like earlier and earlier episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I, I just like, I truly can't bring myself to, to actually say a definitive answer. Yeah. You know, like it's so hard for me to, because it's just not, not the point. And it's so clearly not the point. And it is right. also the thing of like, I really want, like, I don't want to go through the rest of my life thinking that Nora's lying to herself. Yes. You know, like, Literally. I really don't want to think, like, the story that I'm telling myself to cope is that it actually happened and that she got those definitive answers, you know? Like, that's that's what I tell myself. And it's the same yeah. shit. Like, that's how I feel good about the show. And that's how I feel satisfied with the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can, I am now saying yes Nora is happy and satisfied and we're good it's fine like not a big deal whatever right so yeah and it just pays off it just it really pays off to see Nora at the end and Kevin too even though there was like some hesitant I don't know some hesitancy I feel like with his answer um it just pays to see her so happy like you never see Nora you never see Nora happy. I have, for valid I have absolutely no way of verifying this. It's almost definitely wrong, but I don't think we've ever seen her just like smile. Like we've seen Seriously. her laugh. She laughs, she giggles, uh, like, and you see her smile through laughing. But I I would I would venture to guess that we've never seen her just like actually smile until that scene, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah. And like, you know, there's time like when she first first meets Kevin, like she's excited, there's a new partner in her life. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um I will just never forget this goes back to season one, but I have to mention it because when I first saw this, I was like, that's fucked when the 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 guilty remnants um put um mannequins in her house and yeah. um so basically her whole family passed uh, or like departed or departed yes they departed and um the cult that was in the town at the time in season 1 uh they went to everyone's house who lost people and um they put like a like mannequins of everyone who they lost in the place that they died and so that was the most like I remember like my jaw dropped and I remember being like I feel so bad for Nora because Nora's living like she's alone and they just did this to her and anyways just just that contrast from that moment to the very end of the season of the show is it just you just have to tell yourself that she's not lying and I mean yes did they not show like any footage of like her going to see her kids they didn't but who cares like it really does like it really doesn't matter um I just think it's so genius because then you think back to everything else that happens in season one and season two and you're thinking like there's this one guy who thinks he's god and he's telling people all these things and he can heal them and you're like well the people who are choosing to see this godlike figure they're just satisfied knowing that they, yeah. they just want to know that yeah. and it just all goes back to everything like you were saying in the beginning of this episode like there are answers later which is this is later the last episode but there's never like um it's never like for sure answers you just have to deal with it like this is the, the this is the whole thing about the storytelling you have to just believe the stories that you want to believe in order for you to move on mm-hmm. and I think that that is just amazing like that is the whole point of the show and i i, I appreciate it so I'm much like i've it. never 
seen such an honest depiction of like moving on yeah from grief you know yeah um because we've seen it all the time where it's like like a revenge story where like I'm gonna kill you because you killed my my wife and I'm sad about it and then they kill them and they're like that didn't help at all because that's not how you move on from grief yada 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 right but I've never seen like such an honest depiction of like no this is how people move on from grief it takes so many years it takes a lot of work it's not as simple as just like going out and killing the guy who killed your wife or whatever the hell like it's right. you know it, you have to put in the work you have to be able to like understand what you need and how you can get that you know otherwise you're just going to keep spiraling down those like levels of toxicity and you're going it's it's going to be frustrating you know Right. And so, I mean, that's all I have to say. Do you have anything else to add before we conclude? Um, you should all watch The Leftovers. Yes. Uh, it's such a criminally underrated show. I promise it's so good. And I know it sounds like we spoiled a lot. <laughs> but, like, the show is so dense. Yeah. That, like, we scratched maybe 10% of what actually happens in this show, you know? Yeah. Um, please watch this show. It's so good. Also, if you're um, a film executive listening to this podcast, um, I'm so poor. Please hire me. All right. Thank you. That's it. I'm good. Uh <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>